This is Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, in service to the Restorative Justice Ministry, which in my case is going and serving the incarcerated souls, women and men, in the city of Gatesville and in the city of Marlin. And with me today is Renee Brown, our Director of Counseling Services for Catholic Charities of Central Texas. And we're working our way through six sessions on helping those who are listening to us from behind the prison walls as they prepare for their release. Uh, Some things to think about while you're incarcerated, some things to be ready and prepared for once you get out, but also for all of us who surround them in the world once they they get out as we go out and do our daily tasks. very high probability you're going to have somebody that's checking out in the in the grocery line or at uh, at a given store and that they will have been uh, incarcerated as well to have some awareness of, of us all uh, of what uh, folks go through when they're incarcerated and uh, and in that way perhaps contribute to their staying out once they're released and in that way uh, uh, perhaps a small way but a significant one uh, give honor to the people the victims of their crimes who have suffered as a result of those crimes and uh, uh, provide an honor because we are helping to keep that person from committing crimes again. Um, So today, uh, we've been talking a lot about the experience of Renee's daughter, Tierney, who has served time in the uh, penitentiary system here in the state of Texas, and um, getting some good uh, guidance from just what she's been through now that she's been out uh, of prison for three years. And of course, one of the topics that's kind of woven itself through all of our sessions is mental health. When we kind of confine it down to just mental health, what are some of the things that she's she's brought up, uh, particularly, you know, something like uh, distorted thinking? What what passes for distorted thinking? Tierney and I've had several conversations and she's done her own counseling, still does counseling, which is awesome. But cognitive, cognitive distortions are the irrational thoughts that we sometimes have, and then they affect and influence our feelings. Everybody experiences cognitive distortions to some degree, but just some can be harmful or some people can become extreme. So it's just knowing that it's an irrational thought that you're having and then that influences your emotions. And more often than not, it's going to influence them negatively. So I wanted to give you guys just some of the more common distortions um, that people experience. And so I've got a list in front of me because I never can remember all of them. Um, So we'll just kind of go through them. But magnification or minimization is a cognitive distortion. So meaning you exaggerate the importance of an event or you kind of play it down and minimize it. Um, well, I only hurt three people, um, then you're minimizing what you did. It's either making it big, making it small. Uh, it, mu- it says on here, one might believe their own achievements are unimportant or that their mistakes are excessively important. Um, so if you make a mistake, like we all do, there are some people who are going to make that mistake huge. And there's going to be some people that would play it down. So like the other day, um, I was not paying attention and literally went through the light. Well, for me, I mean, nobody else was coming. So my sister was like, well, nobody else is coming. She kind of minimized it where I was like 
in a fret about it. It's like, oh, my gosh, if a car would have been coming, I could have created a wreck. We could have died, blah, blah, blah. It was this whole thing. And so it's just kind of understanding that sometimes we magnify, sometimes we minify, uh, minimize things. Uh, catastrophizing, we see the only worst possible outcome in a situation. And I think this happens to people a lot when they're released because it seems like everything is a catastrophe. Oh, my gosh, I can't find a place to live. I can't find a job. I'm never going to find a job. It's not going to happen for me. So catastrophizing. Um, sometimes we'll make overgeneralizations. And what that means is you're making a broad interpretation on a single event. So you make this huge interpretation. You don't get a job and, well, they don't like me. Or, you know, I'm not pretty enough for this job or I'm not smart enough. We make all these generalizations when maybe we just didn't have the qualifications that they needed for that job. It could be something like that. Um, and this it's funny because the example it's giving me is I felt awkward during my job interview. I always felt awkward. Well, do you always feel awkward? Probably not. Maybe in the maybe in the interview you did, but throughout the rest of your day, you probably don't feel awkward. So it's overgeneralizing a situation. Magical thinking, the belief that acts will influence unrelated situations. I'm a good person, but bad thing so bad things shouldn't happen to me. Magical thinking. Um, personalization. The belief that one is responsible for events outside of their own control. My mom is always upset. She would be fine if I did more to help her. Well, that may not be true. So personalization is where you're taking the responsibility for everything. Somehow everything outside of you is in your control or you've made it happen. Uh, Jumping to conclusions. That's the most common one. We often... Interpret interpret things and just jump to a conclusion about something. Um, I think people probably do that one all the time. We assume things. We jump to conclusions about things. Oh, this person doesn't like me. Well, what evidence do you have that they don't like you? I can remember one time. Um, so my children are biracial, and one time my son came home. He was very young, and he was like, well, this kid in his class, and I don't remember the child's name, uh, they don't like me because I'm black. And I said, well, how do you know that? And he goes, uh, I said, well, did they call you a bad word? Did they say something about your hair? We went through this whole thing. And he had no idea. Like, and what it really was, was a teacher had told him this. But we jumped to conclusions about so many things without evidence. So that is something to kind of look at. Mind reading. Interpreting the thoughts and beliefs of others without adequate evidence. Just what I was talking about. Um... That girl wouldn't go on a date with me. She'll think I'm ugly. Well, what evidence do you have for that? Did the girl say you were ugly? So sometimes we get into mind reading or fortune telling. Um, it's going to turn out badly. I just, I'm just i predicting the future. Because everything else has turned out badly, this is going to turn out badly. I've been turned down 10 times for a job. This is not going to work out well. Well, maybe number 11 is going to be the time you get the job. Um, and emotional reasoning the assumption of emotions and we're reflecting the way things really are. I felt like a bad friend, therefore I must be a bad friend. I felt something, so it must be true. Feelings don't equate with truth, right? Um, And doing the should, could, and would statements. I should have done this. 
I could have done that. I would do this if I could. Those things keep you locked in the past. Shoulds, coulds, and woulds. Most counselors will tell you, like in session, there's no shoulds, coulds, or woulds because they keep you locked in the past. And all or nothing thinking. When you use the words always, never, nothing ever works out for me. Is that true? Because I'm thinking probably something has worked out at some point for you. So you have to be careful with verbiage such as always, never, and every. Every person dislikes me. Everything is bad in my life because that's not always true. So those are just some examples of distorted thinking. As you go through those examples, Renee, about distorted thinking, a word keeps popping up over and over again, truth. Mm -hmm. And it recalls a pilot when he says, truth, what is truth? Well, truth is what God gives to us. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And one of those answers to somebody who might say to us, how do I know that I've got a distorted thought? How do I know whether something is true or not? Well, examine it. Look at Mm -hmm. it. Write it down. You said in our last session you're a big fan of writing things down. Make a list. Say to yourself, okay, this is what I'm thinking in the distorted realm. I'm never going to be this. I'm always going to be that, this and that. And then make yourself say, now, wait a minute here. I I had times where I was able to do this or I was able to do that. And saying all that, I then want to ask this question. I've done that. I'm looking at my two columns. I can see that I actually had things where I was okay and did things, you know, a way that was healthy and good. But I also had my bad stuff. What is it about us that makes us want to go in even then and say, I'm still going to give more weight to the bad stuff than to the good stuff? It's really interesting. I heard a uh, a talk show a few years back. On, it was a mental health piece. And they were talking about that human beings, it's, a, it's just the way we're wired. We have a tendency to believe the negative more than the positive. And I thought that was so interesting. I never really thought about it. It just seems to be the way that humans are wired, you know, the way our brains work is for some reason it's it's easier to focus on the negative things and believe the negative things about self than to believe the positive things about self. Well, and one thing I would respond from the spiritual life is that, that uh, you know, and if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and, and quacks like a duck, it probably is one. That sounds like concupiscence, which, it, you know, essentially that residual of the original sin, that even when we're washed clean from the effects of the original sin, we still have that temptation mm-hmm. that's hanging around. And the evil one is still there to fan the flames of that temptation. And I would I would wonder, you know, we can say, yes, we're wired that way. And that would would be consistent. The, the wiring is the concupiscence that's there. But then the electrician that wants to ramp that up is the evil one. Oh, absolutely. And we have to fight that. We have to fight it with the kinds of of, uh, truth that you're giving Mm -hmm. us from the clinical side, but the truth that comes from God. We have the seed of eternity planted within us. We're made in his image and likeness. When we're baptized, we're now conformed to Christ himself. We're already living the divine life in the kingdom here and now with that hope of the fullness in the future. All of that's real, and those really can be good ways in addition to the good work that a person can do through counseling to marry those two realities of the spiritual. It's it's the two natures of Christ, the human aspect and the divine aspect, and we're there. Believe. Believe, because belief can be so very helpful in that. Um, I want to get uh, shift gears a little bit here. 
relationships because yeah. relationships are obviously a place where distorted thinking can arise and any number of other pitfalls and mental health issues. Um, and, and what I just suggested in that, you know, and from your example of writing things down, that's kind of a, a, a delving into something and saying, let me identify the the the, the structure of this, the framework. Let me uh, like let me take my relationship and stick it under the mic- microscope and start to dissect, uh, you know, what's there. Um, when I do that, and, and I find certain things, get back to that patterns of behavior you talked about in the last session. What do I do when I identified the good stuff and I can build on that, the bad stuff, um, and, and so I can get rid of it? What do I do to kind of curb the bad stuff and and enhance the good? Yeah. When, when I talk about like looking at your relationships, it's literally writing down mom. You know, what what is good about this relationship that you have with mom? And maybe what are some of the negative pieces that you have with your mother, right? It's identifying all the important people in your life because sometimes we have a tendency to put some people in the important category that may not be in the important category. And it's really about acknowledging who people are. You've had a best friend since high school and you're sitting in incarcerated and you're 36, but when you look back on this friendship with this person, the only thing that y'all ever did together involved drugs. How good of a friendship is this really, right? So it's looking at the pros and cons, if you'll have it. It's looking at the good pieces of this relationship, and it's looking at maybe the toxic pieces of this relationship. And then it's deciding, is this a relationship worth having? And and so I've shared with you all about my children and how close they are. And for tyranny, I mean, part of her counseling work is is because of the lack of relationship that she can have with her brother because of their drug use together and just their the way that they become together. It's really strange because they do function like twins. And so for her, it's like I can love him from afar. I can talk to him on the phone, but my interaction with him, there's, there's no physical interaction with them. Um, she understands that this is a person that she can't have in her life at this moment. And if he chooses to continue his path, she cannot have this person in her life. And this is her brother. So it's really examining the relationships that you have with people to determine maybe this is a person that I have to love from afar. You know, this is a person that I'm going to pray for from afar, but I can't have them in my daily life. So if it's somebody that you care about and you love, you know, intensely, there could be a possibility for this person that you just need to develop boundaries. Um, For the most part, when I'm working with clients, none of us are really good with boundaries. As a matter of fact, until I became a counselor, I wasn't real familiar with boundaries as and, and I was really good. Let me say this. I was really good with boundaries as a teacher, really good with boundaries with others, but horrible boundaries as a parent. And that's interesting. You would think, hmm. But I think single parent and the guilt and all these things, sometimes I didn't have the best boundaries with my kids. And so if there is a person that you feel like is important that you don't feel like you can cut out of your life, that maybe the good qualities are outweighing, then you definitely have to have a place for boundaries. And the way to think about boundaries, because sometimes to people, boundaries sound mean. They're like, ooh, that, I'm not being a nice person or that sounds mean. 
the way I explain boundaries is boundaries are to protect you mentally and emotionally. They keep you sane. They keep you from being hurt. So what that means is, is if you have a, a, a parent or a sibling who you love and you care about and you've looked at this relationship and you really want it, but maybe the sibling does some things like they hang out at the bar every weekend. You know, your boundary can be like, you know, we can hang out and do things, but I can't be at the bar with you on the weekend. And if they come back, well, well, that's where I like to hang out. Well, you can hang out there, but I'm not hanging out there. And let's say you get in the car with them one day and they're going to the bar, even though you've put that boundary out. You'll make a choice then. Do I get out of the car or do I go in the bar? Well, I said I wasn't going to the bar anymore. So that means I'm going to get out of the car, maybe take a bus home, call another friend for a ride. And then I have to look at this relationship again because you've already told this person, hey, I can't go to the bar or I can't do whatever it is. So it's a constant examination of relationship and then knowing the people that you need to cut out of your life and the people that you need to have better boundaries with. If you... Find yourself, let's say in the case of your son, in the position of being the one that someone is putting a boundary because you're not good in in their lives under that condition. You go back to the bar example. That also means, and, and this is for all of us, once someone has put me on notice that one aspect of who I am in their life isn't good, I can make the conscious decision to keep that aspect from them. That can be a boundary that I can provide. I can say, Mm -hmm. sis, I'm not going to invite you to the bar. I'm not going to call you from the bar and say, hey, you know, so-and-so's here. We're having a great time. I'm going to say to myself, I'm not doing that because I'm going to provide a boundary of health for my my sister. Now, I'm still not going to give up my drinking and I'm still going to sit here at the bar, but at least I'm not going to try and be the tempter. And, and, yes. and have her fall uh, just because uh, I want to try and validate what, what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So, And then at, at some point as a priest, I really want to believe a person that takes that step is going to allow themselves, and, and full disclosure, a priest who's a recovering alcoholic as well, where you ultimately you say, I just can't do that anymore. Sure. I've told God that I want to be a good priest, not a, a drunk priest. And as a result of that, that can't happen anymore. And it's achievable. Um, it, it's work. You have to get people to help you. There's embarrassment and shame and all those things, but they're worth it. They're worth it. Drive through them and then allow yourself to assist uh, other people with their own boundaries. Uh, one of the things that we see in prison so often is the manipulation component mm-hmm. where the weak prey on the strong, not always physically, but sometimes emotionally and mentally. mentally. And so if if you're having to admit to yourself as you're hearing us today that maybe that's happening to you, or even more, if you're a manipulator and you're hearing us today, listen to that voice in your heart that comes from Jesus that says, you're better than this. I have made you for something greater than the manipulation of other people. Use the gift of being able to persuade and influence, not for your own gain, but to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And um, and that kind of brings us around to this, this aspect of communication. Boundaries have to be communicated oh, mm-hmm. some one way or the other. What are some basics in, in this realm that we're talking about of good communications, communication versus not so good communication? Yeah. Uh, communication, um, some of the skills that we work on um, with clients is, 
you know, sharing feelings. People don't want to share feeling, and you don't have to get in depth in your feeling, but certainly if something is hurting you or it's creating pain for you, you need to communicate that to the other person. And a great way to do that, and you may have had this in some of your uh, counseling classes there in um, at prison, is iMessages. iMessages are great because what happens with most people in communication, if I come at you with, well, you do this, and then ah, blah, blah, blah. Well, you did. Whenever you start out with you, immediately most people shut down because they feel like they're being attacked or you're wanting me to be responsible for you in some way. And so a way to work with that is just using an I message, which is, you know, I feel hurt when you say this. So the you is still in there. So this person knows that they're creating it. But you start off with the I. You know, I feel hurt. I feel frustrated. I feel rejected. I feel angry. I feel whatever it is you feel you know, share that with them. And then this way, there's some understanding there. I think often we don't spend enough time sharing, you know, our feelings with others. We we put people in positions to do all this guesswork and they don't really know what to do. Um, also, uh, one of the important things with communication is when when you are getting to this place with another person where arguing is about to, you know, get incited, that is the time to take a time out and a break. Because when you're that upset, you cannot talk emotionally. You can't work anything out emotionally. Nothing is going to be accomplished. And more often than not, it ends up with feelings hurt on both sides. And so communication is about knowing when it's time to take a time out. And you're listening for information most people listen to respond. Like we listen to respond, but we don't listen to get the information. And you can ask questions. Can you clarify that for me? Or I'm having trouble understanding, you know, what you mean by that. Can you give me an example? I often um, will ask people for an example, well, you did this to me, or you hurt my feelings. Well, can you give me an example of when that happened? So you want to communicate feelings. You want to ask for examples, for clarification. And when you're listening, you want to be listening to gain information, not to know how to reply to the other person. That That's just a few little pieces with communication. Another one that, in uh, a practice that, that we were taught in, in terms of listening skills is to be uh, conscious to repeat things that the other person has mm-hmm. said so they can know that you actually heard what they did say. Yeah, you can reflect back. Reflect back. So what I hear you saying, you could even start with that. Like what I hear you saying is, and then you restate what they said. And this way they know, oh, she was actively listening. Mm-hmm. And also validating feeling. I'm all about validating feeling. I didn't grow up with that, but it's such a helpful tool. So when you're in communication with somebody, I mean, validate feeling. Oh, I can tell you're frustrated. You know, I can see you're hurt by that or whatever. Validate feeling as well. How about you say that to me, but what I say back is you don't know me well enough 
to be able to say that? What if I'm feeling when somebody validates a feeling, what mm-hmm. I really receive from them is they're trying to, to put on me how they think I'm supposed, supposed to be to feel. feel. Right. Yeah. And so you could you could you can actually just tell them that. Mm-hmm. Say, I feel like you're trying to to put something on me okay. that I don't really feel. And then hopefully the person will be, oh, you know, I'm sorry I misunderstood or can you help me to understand better what you're feeling? You know, hopefully they'll come back with that. Or they can say busted. Or busted, yeah. exactly, you and know, take responsibility. I, I really was trying to do that, but you've got me. And <laughs> and I don't know that that has to be bad, even though the person was actually trying to do a manipulative action. You just broke through where somebody mm-hmm. was honest, like you just said, and, and, and they acknowledged that, and that can – can bring some some more more trust. I think in communication in the prison life, from what we've witnessed, uh, trust in communication is a very hard thing to come by. And um, when trust is lent, and then it, it, there's a perception that it's violated or it actually is violated, it can really set people back for wanting to have authentic communication because they don't want to put their their stuff their cards on the table sure. because they can be hurt by that. Um, what about protecting myself as I communicate? What are some good things to do to where I can effectively communicate, but I don't have to give things to people that really could end up being something that could harm me because they know how to manipulate? Oh, sure. That That's when you want to just give limited information. You know, you don't have to tell people everything. Um, if if you if you go with your gut instinct, we always we all have a gut for a reason, right? Um, and I tell women, especially, you know, use that intuition, use that gut. If it feels like somebody's um, asking questions or trying to validate or and it feels manipulative, then it probably is. And so you can abstain. You don't have to answer that. And another thing that we always talk about, too, is actions speak louder than words. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't really get that. But it, it's it's so meaningful as an adult. You can tell me anything. You can say anything. But Your actions are going to speak so much louder than your words do. Now, there's another side to that as well, though, because having said that, that it might be valuable for me to keep certain things to myself and not share them with everyone or Mm -hmm. anyone, I can get so closed in that I never share anything that really can, can cause an authentic relationship to blossom. And again, is that a gut thing? You just have to kind of fish through that and oh. see how people do with what information you give them? Absolutely. And then just knowing, like, you have priests and pastors that you can go to for some stuff, right? Right, right. So even though you're incarcerated, there are people there that you can talk to. I mean, I think um, where Tierney was incarcerated, there were counselors on staff for her. And so she met with a counselor. And you have other people that are trusted people who are available to you. As we walk through these things and, and we get ready to wrap up here today and and, uh, and we'll have our final session, uh, which uh, will uh, deal with things on getting help from from family and friends. And, of course, we'll talk about those who, who don't have family and friends to help them and, and how they can create uh, groups of people uh, to support them as well. Um, one of the things that has been a, a – a, a, a thread through our entire sessions, uh, both this one on uh, reintegration after incarceration, but also the other one we did on on parenting from from prison, is the constant looking to the pattern of God and how God 
creates relationship, how God sustains relationship, uh, the journey of the people uh, of Israel in the Old Testament, the fulfillment of that journey in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. You know, back to what we were talking about before with what would Jesus do as that very popular saying, which in essence is study the Scripture, study the way that Jesus handled his business. Even when Peter denies him three times, he comes back around in that relationship and doesn't say, therefore, Peter, I cast you into the eternal fires of hell. He gives him the opportunity to say, yes, Lord, I love you. And then he gives him his great commission, feed my sheep. Just because our relationships have been imperfect doesn't mean they have to be destroyed or discarded. Maybe we get a little more careful, we become more prudent, but in the end, um, asking God the Holy Spirit in these moments of encounter and growth or trimming or expanding, really, really good to do. And it's just not something we want to leave out. We want to have that be part of, of who we are. So let me ask the Holy Spirit to help all of us who have been listening today to take into our hearts what will help us, what will allow us to grow in love, in mercy, and in forgiveness, but most of all, to celebrate the gift that God has made us to put the things behind us that are not worthy of God and to look forward to those things that are. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.